What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pinnacle Performance Podcast. Today, I have Alina Kanner, certified athletic trainer, joining me today. Uh, Alina and I have known each other for a little bit of time, uh, probably probably for about a year. We've interacted a lot on social media. Uh, we've been on several video calls together through various means, and I'm very excited that she's here to join me. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah, so you are starting to make more of a push towards online training. Like, for example, you're part of this female fitness alliance with Katie St. Clair, for example. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So everything, I live in New York, and we definitely got hit the worst with coronavirus. So I really didn't have much of an option but to go into online training. But I had been thinking about transitioning more and starting to help more people in other places for a while. So coronavirus for me kind of came at it. I mean, it's not a great situation, but it, for me, I took um, the most I could out of it and I changed my perspective of what was going on so that I could benefit other people. Um, as for the Female Fitness Alliance, it has been absolutely amazing. I have become very close friends with Katie and Katie has become a mentor towards me. Um, she set this up with this intention of really trying to elevate women in our field of strength and conditioning and personal training and fitness and just trying to get them to a place where they can feel comfortable talking to each other, also having like a community with each other and also talking about very smart, intelligent training methods. So it's been awesome to be part of this program and just part of this community. And every week we are putting out new lectures. Each person, there's eight people on the panel and each person puts out their presentation every week live. And if you sign up, you can have access to the Facebook group where it's live and it's done through StreamYard. And it's just, it's awesome to actually see it happening right in front of you and it's also done on zoom and then if you miss it you can just go in later because we streamed it you can watch it later so i think it's been a really great opportunity to watch all these women make these big strides in the industry do you feel like there's a lot of women like you know maybe even college high school who are interested in the field but like i feel that if i were in their position it's hard for me to say this because i'm a guy if I were looking at the field and specifically like the female strength coaches, I think there's one like, isn't there one on the Raiders or something? There's a couple out there for yeah, sure. There's a couple that are like really high level within like the last decade. Um, and I look at them and they're like, it's really cool that there's women there, but it seems like they're very intimidating individuals. Like they're very like, you know, um, like tomboy, like kind of like they're, they're loud and like they're what you would expect of a strength and conditioning coach. Do you feel like it's hard for maybe like the softer spoken ones, more of like the introverted ones to break into the field? Definitely. I personally, I'm not introverted. I'm pretty extroverted. Well, as it's changed as I've gotten older, but I'm 4'11 and I'm a small female. And so even growing up for me, I think just wanting to go into something that is more male dominant like this field, it's something you, you kind of have to prove yourself um, yeah. many times. At least that's how I felt. So I'll, I'll speak to my own personal experience. I definitely think that um, it can be a little more difficult just with who you are and what you're up against. And you may feel like you have to be somebody you're not. But I think it's important to just stay true to yourself and 
go towards a route that kind of makes you feel the best. So for me, that was just becoming knowledgeable on as many um, tactics of strength and conditioning that I could and just sharing that knowledge with um, my clients as well as like other people that have contacted me or whoever is interested. And I think going towards that route of whatever makes you the most comfortable is the best way to kind of approach that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I feel like the people that dislike strength and conditioning, we were talking about this a little bit before we started this call. I think the people that hate strength conditioning the most, like doing it, are the thinner, like sort of, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Sort of more like eloquent, like sort of girls that, you know, like the, you're, they're, they're your thin high school college athletes who aren't very explosive. But I yeah. feel like if there was a female strength and conditioning coach that could reach those people and like have a good conversation with them, I feel like there's a place for more of like a softer spoken female on a strength and conditioning staff, if not the head coach, because man, that'd be pretty cool if they could come in and just like get the respect of an entire team. Yeah. I, I like I was a gymnast growing up and we definitely have different like body types in gymnastics. And we were talking about this before a more powerful gymnast. What I've seen in my experience is most more of these powerful gymnasts love strength and conditioning and more of these ones that we say they have very beautiful lines or they're um, more artistic in their gymnastics abilities. I have noticed that they don't love uh, the strength and conditioning aspect. But I do feel that if there was a coach in the strength and conditioning room, in the weight room, that programmed a little more intelligently towards that specific individual mm -hmm. and their needs, then maybe those people would love it. So yeah. it's it's super interesting. Um, but I think it's it's so individual. And for me personally, I had always wanted to go into strength and conditioning and always wanted to help people. But also myself, I just like lifting weights. I enjoy it. I purely enjoy it. So for me, it was just natural after gymnastics. I knew that that was what my plan was. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's a little bit of nature versus nurture in the sense that like just speaking for the, for the environments that I've been in within the field, I've been in like several different ones at many different levels of skill and athletes. And I found that there's a little bit of a pressure, like an unsaid social pressure to accommodate the meathead side of the field. And I think it works both ways for males and females. Like we get in and like, I don't know whether maybe this field attracts more of those personalities or maybe like it's a combination of that. And also like you get there and you feel like you need to be the macho person. But a lot of the best coaches I know are the ones that aren't very loud. And I think there's something to be said about that. I agree. It's actually funny that you say that because as an Olympic weightlifter, which I was an Olympic weightlifter for the last three years, um, I feel like there's that um, same type of like stigma in it where if you – Kind of, if you're with your teammates, you have to have a little bit of an act just to be like, you know, I lift these weights, I'm strong too. And especially, like I used to only train with guys, like most of my weightlifting career, it was maybe me, one other girl, and all guys. And you have to have an edge to you to really do something like that. And yeah. I personally love it, but I can understand why so many other people wouldn't, that's not their place and why they wouldn't want to be in that kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. 
I think at the end of the day, like you, no one wants to work out or train hard in, in like a room with no music. Well, maybe some psychopaths do, but like people ultimately want to feel motivated and they want to like feel pushed. And I think it helps to have that side. So I don't know. It's something I think about quite a bit. It's like, obviously you need to be versatile with your own personality and coaching style and tailor it to who you're working with. But at the end of the day, I think every human being responds to just like massive sympathetic tone, just like in your face when you need it, like yelling kind of, that's, that's something that's good time and place. Like that's necessary. Um, but ultimately I think coaching is so much more than the um, biomechanics, anatomy, physiology. I think it's, I say this all the time. I'm like a broken record with this, but I think it's so funny that we go through our entire degrees and don't take one psychology class. Like it's not required for us to take a behavioral change class. I think that's insane because it's more than half our job. Yeah. That I, and business, these are the yeah, two business things too. that yeah. I am shocked that, I mean, I understand with what I majored in, maybe I didn't need it. But now looking back, if I were to redo it, I probably would have actually majored in psychology because I think mm -hmm. my entire job is understanding and connecting with others. And it is vital that you can have a connection with that person in front of you and that you can be uh, empathetic and sympathetic towards them and understand what's going on in their life. And yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's very, very true. I think um, going back to the female thing as it relates to this, do you think that maybe the fact that we talk about females in strength and conditioning, just like doing that and not just treating you guys like who even gives a shit what gender it is, like this is just the person we're dealing with, like even making it about females, like is that potentially like making the divide greater i don't know if it is i'm just asking the question because i think this is like i think it's so purely obvious that like we're different genders and i think it should be talked about but at some point like we just got to be like you're a person just like me let's go i really i agree with that um i probably i do think that it makes the divide bigger because i truly believe that it just has to do with that person like their individual personality and how are they as a coach is this person better than this person or does this person have strength like everybody has strengths and weaknesses what are this person's strengths what can this person complement you know person a with their strengths and weaknesses and i think looking at it from a perspective of that like where can i benefit my coworker mm -hmm. and that that really is the best way to to do i think to actually think about you know our male, female, all this stuff. And I'm also, you know, I'm in New York and we're very open here and I, I love it like that. And I think it's um, important to be that way. Yeah. I think it's funny. Like, okay, now this is getting like going back into history, but I think uh, like, if you look, we're not that far removed from like 19, when was it when like women gained the right to vote? Like kind of like mid early 1900s. Yeah. That's not that long ago. And <laughs> if you think about it, like a hundred years is not that much and we're not even at a hundred years yet. So you look back like, yeah, it's great to be progressive, but if you understand where we're coming from for so much of our history as like a 
societal creature, animal, like we have not treated uh, both genders very fairly and equally. So we're still catching up. And I think like to a degree, it's remarkable that we've gotten there, but the fact that it was an issue in the first place seems absolutely insane. Yeah. I mean, and it goes to, you know, religions and races and everything. But I, I was recently having this conversation with somebody where we were saying like, you know, women may, might not be uh, asked onto all these platforms for speaking as much as men have been. Because what we've seen recently is that there was a little bit of um, struggle for women to get uh, these speaking engagements. But here's the thing. Women haven't been super... Um, in the strength and conditioning world that much. I think now is our time to make the push. And I think we're doing a really great job. And I, I think it's the same for other races as well. And people that are, you know, whatever they associate with, if they are non-conforming to a gender, I think everybody's just doing a really good job just trying to get um, elevated into the field. So I think with time, it will happen for sure. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, let's switch to your, your presentations about hormones. So you have been giving, a, well, you are, you've given one and you're going to give another one on hormones as they relate to females in training. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So this stemmed from my experience over the last couple of years, but really in the last year. Um, the presentation itself is literally my test results, my experience, and what I went through after putting my body through a lot of stress from around the age of like 15, maybe. I started um, doing gymnastics. I was competitive. And then I went into bodybuilding for a bit and then Olympic weightlifting. And Sometimes. I did Olympic weightlifting. Yeah, I was a very serious Olympic weightlifter. And I was about to qualify to nationals. I was very, very close. And um, basically, I knew something was off. I wasn't sleeping well. I my cycles were all off. And that's really a vital sign for a female. And that's something that every girl can kind of monitor and, you know, track their temperature and see what's going on with that. There's an amazing application um, that you can use. It's called natural cycles that I currently use. And if you're off, something is off in your body. And if you don't feel great, you probably need to get that checked out. And it was, it got so bad for me that I ended up last year seeing three doctors and I wanted to take a more natural route to things. I wasn't ready to go on any like hormone replacement immediately. I also just wanted to know what was going on. Yeah. Um, so the doctors that I did see really couldn't help me to the extent that I was looking for. I wanted to know what was happening. I like to know the science. I like it to be explained to me. And if not, I'll figure it out and I'll learn it myself. So that's what I did. I ended up going through this situation for a year of just lack of sleep issues during my cycles or for, for half the month. I just, um, well, half my cycle, I felt uh, very off, a lot of anxiety. And now I'm also training for, for these huge meets and I'm yeah. so strong. I'm at the strongest in my career that I'd ever been, but I had also gained 10 pounds in a month. So I was also just confused on what was going on. Why did I gain so much weight? I added in barely maybe 400 calories. I shouldn't gain that much weight so quick. Um, and so I'm gearing up for these competitions and I'm bigger than my weight class. And I just 
knew that it was off, I ended up seeing a functional medicine doctor who got me a Dutch test, which I explain all of this in the presentation. And I explained the Dutch test and what was going on with mine. And there's so many different outcomes you can have. But for me specifically, we talk about this type of stuff all the time in um, the strength and conditioning world and PRI, all this stuff about just toning down that sympathetic system and getting it to be a little more parasympathetic into that state. And so basically when I got my results back, my cortisol was pretty high, but my cortisone, which is the inactive form of cortisol, was through the roof. It was, it was so high. So basically I had kind of used up my cortisol and I had used it up for a while and I started using the inactive form. And then my other hormones were just um, feeding into that. So they were all pretty low and I had felt it and I knew that there was something off. So after talking to a couple doctors and then basically scaring me, telling me I need to quit my sport immediately, I quit my sport in June and it was um, a month out from a huge competition um, that I had paid for to go to, to Florida and compete. And I pulled out of the meet at, probably would have qualified to nationals there. I had just started with a new coach and he is amazing for weight Olympic weightlifters. They should all look at um, Coach Blanco. He is absolutely amazing. Uh, and I, like I said, I my technique was amazing. I was the strongest I'd ever been. I had double body weight. I back squatted double body weight in this Good time you, period. Yeah. I PR'd both snatch and clean and jerk all in this time period. So I'm struggling internally, but I'm the strongest and I feel great with my sport. <sighs> but I can't handle my emotions. I can't. I'm just not totally myself. Um, and you just know when you're off. And so did what I needed to do, stopped my sport, started bike riding, started hiking, tried to get into nature, did all these things to try and get my nervous system to calm down. I did a ton of PRI, which is so beneficial for anybody, any athlete who is, most athletes are all in that sympathetic state. Um, so to shut it down, I used PRI. Uh, I started doing acupuncture, which for me was really life-changing. Uh, it was a forced meditation. That's what I like to call it. Interesting. You, I like that. Have you ever tried it? You know, I haven't. I haven't. And some people say it works really well. Others say it did absolutely nothing for them. And it's like, I don't know, Some it's like either one or the other. So how is it for you? Um, so for me, at first, I was like, I, this is whatever. The music is cool. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hang out here. It's relaxing. Honestly, I needed time to fill up uh, for when I did. I did weightlifting three hours a day for five days a week. So I needed something to fill that time up because I, I was just really just so anxious and I wanted a place to be. So I found a place in Brooklyn that is close to where I trained and I, I just really enjoyed it, but it took a while. And also I think it really depends on the acupuncturist. I feel like you just have to have like a connection. They have to understand what you're going through. And I think it's the same with coaching. Uh, what, what I could do for my clients might not, it'll be different than what you can do for yours just off that connection. So I think it's really about that connection, them understanding you. Also, everyone is individual. So just, you know, what, whatever I do for one client's definitely not going to be what I do for the next client. So it's the same thing. So for me, I, I love it. I swear by it. I, I think it was really helped me and it's definitely something to look into if you are struggling with anything that is um, related to just being stressed out yeah. for sure. But it forced me to meditate and yeah. it forced me to figure out how to do that. And 
Um, so I started doing that practice and then I ended up switching doctors again. I waited a couple months because she was on maternity leave and now I've been with her for a while. And, you know, when you find somebody who helps you, I think that is, um, it's it's very, it can, it's life-changing. And it's the same for somebody who's injured. I just had a client earlier today who, you know, she was crying to me because she's been through so many PTs and so many doctors for her injuries in her life. And she just started crying. She was just like, I feel like you're actually going to help me and you're, you're going to treat me like an individual and make something of this instead of just kind of pushing me to the side or saying, you know, you're always going to feel like that. And that's how I felt when I found my doctor, I felt like she cared. That was the biggest thing. I just felt like she cared. And then I also felt like she was intelligent and understood what was going on and was, was going to be relentless with figuring it out, which is what it's been like. So I, I think it's important when you're struggling to just, you need to be relentless to find somebody. And that's what I did. I, I waited around and just tried to make myself be okay in that time span. I think the, just the concentrated breathing and the meditational aspects of acupuncture, like what you went through, for example, or just doing your own practice is something that's so underrated for people. Uh, when you're really sympathetic, you're so upregulated, you're, you're constantly perceiving threats. And honestly, like I, over this quarantine period, I've talked just by coincidence to like five or six people who have like true, genuine chronic pain, something I have no experience with myself personally. So I don't know how confidently I can speak on this, but this is just my observation. These people tend to be so concerned with figuring out what's wrong with them because no one can. I am like, well, these are what my tests say, so this is my interpretation. But that's only one interpretation. They've been to like 12 people, 12 different doctors, chiropractors, physical therapists, and they're all saying different things. And they're all giving them different things. So why should they trust my opinion? Fair. But they're so concerned and they're thinking so much about what's wrong. It gets to a point where I'm like, have you ever considered that maybe you're thinking so much about it? You're giving yourself a feedback loop and then you're just like heightening your sensory awareness of your painful knee. And before you know it, you're just constantly perceiving threatening pain there because you're so worried about it. You know what I mean? I do. And I also feel like I know what it's like to be there, not necessarily with chronic pain, but with this, it was, it was so consuming. It was something that I couldn't stop thinking about. I think for me, there was a time period where it was so consuming like that, but then something switched and I started to feel okay. And I think it was in the four months while I was waiting for the doctor. I wasn't going to get answers. I knew I wasn't going to get answers. And so I just was like, okay, I'm just going to continue on with my life. And that's when the like hiking, bike riding really helped me and changing up my lifting schedule and, mm. and then acupuncture as well. Also, just those couple things. I also made limits on when I was taking clients. I would not take morning clients. I knew that I had struggle sleeping. So I told myself I will wake up and be calm in the morning. I will not rush out on a subway at five in the morning to get to Manhattan by 6.30. I wasn't going to be doing that anymore. So I moved all my clients to the evening. I will always, I work in the evenings and I like to obviously put people near each other. So, cause I'm in the city, it's not like I could just, you know, run back and forth 
real quick. It doesn't work like that. But um, that was a boundary that I made and I stuck by it and I still will keep it when I come back from quarantine as much as I still, I do wake up early. I wake up sometimes at six, five, sometimes four. I, I'm still not going to take a 7am. Just that's a something you sometimes just have to do the right things for yourself. Sometimes it's really good to say no. Um, That's huge. Yeah. To make that step. Cause I think that we see other people taking morning clients. So we feel like an obligation. That's something we should do. But if you're doing what you need to do, uh, if you're making enough money that you need to sustain yourself and what you want to do, then you do you, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's go back to hormones for a second, because I have something that um, when you were giving your story, something I haven't thought about in a very long time. And that is when I first, before I ever started lifting weights, I was going to get into the whole thing because I'm like, a am all in or I'm all out kind of guy. So I was 15 years old and I looked at myself in the mirror one day. I'm like, you got to do something about this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I, uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to start tracking my calories. I'm going to start, I'm going to buy a pair of dumbbells. I'm going to go through the whole thing. So I was like, well, do I bulk or cut her first? Because that's like what you do, right? That's when you first start out, that is the question you ask. And that is what I, I answered it because I was skinny fat, right? So I was like, I'm going to cut. So I cut for a long time. And a long, long time went by, I think it was eight months later down the road. I think I started at like 165 pounds, six foot tall. I'm, I was six feet and 130 pounds by the end of it. Wow. Which, yeah. That's pretty skinny. And it wasn't out of like an eating disorder thing. I just genuinely didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I went to a physical at the doctor because it got to a point where I, I like, again, I had no idea what I was doing. I thought I was doing the right thing. I'm like, yeah, losing weight. Great. And before I knew it, I realized that I, I was so tired. I couldn't, like, I went out to play a game of football in the park with my friends. After the second play, I had to go sit down and take a nap on the bench for like wow. two hours. And then it, I realized I did some research. I was eating 25 grams of fat every day for the last eight months. Yep. And I was toast. So yeah. I went to the doctor and he was like, you should probably do something about this, man. You're pretty skinny. I was, I said, what, what are you talking about? And he was like, look at you. You're like 130 pounds, six feet tall and you're falling asleep on park benches. <laughs> oh, it just clicked for me. But I never, I never even thought about it that way. It was so strange. And it's, I guess it's easy to fall down that path, even unknowingly, if you're not careful. It's interesting that you say that because you said in the beginning, you said, you know, growing up, you were like, what am I going to do bulk or cut? So I think that's definitely, um, more of a male perspective Yeah. for me being a female at that same age, what 15 you said. Yeah. So me at 15, I would have never said bulk. (laughs) (laughs) Never. I would have, I I did. I mean, I always was like, "I, I need to lose weight. I'm on a diet. Always, always my friends. I'm still friends with them from, I have friends from when I was 10 years old and uh, they'll make fun of me for for what I ate when I was 14, 15 years old because I was always on a diet. But I do have to say something about that fat, uh, low fat. So yeah. I did a low fat for a very long time. Um, after I did bodybuilding, obviously, when you cut down doing a bodybuilding show, you do end up eating very low calories. Mm-hmm. Before my show, I didn't even get as lean as probably I other competitors. Um, my body didn't really let me. Um, which that in itself is something to 
think about. Like my body didn't let me get that lean. Um, But eating low fat, I ended up, I was eating uh, about 20-ish grams of fat, 25 grams of fat during my Olympic weightlifting career for pretty much all of it because I I just thought, oh, I just need carbs. I'm lifting so much all the time. I need all these carbs. I don't really need fat. I'll be fine. Now, now I, I do eat higher fat. I don't, I eat carbs, but not nearly as much as I used to. I used to eat like 220 grams of carbs. Um, nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I think about it now. I'm like, how did I do that? But I was lifting a lot for many hours. And um, yeah, so now I definitely have higher fat and it has helped me a lot. Um, but I can understand why you felt like that. Yeah. It was awful. It was really, really awful looking you back need- on it. You need that macronutrient. Yeah. And honestly, what you need the most, the most important macronutrient is protein by far. Yeah. (laughs) By far. But that is a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people don't. um, I mean, the majority of our country definitely does not eat a higher protein diet. I eat a higher Mm -hmm. protein diet. I have always done that probably since I was growing up. I always did. And then maybe around when I was 14, 15, I started to like cook for myself. I ate start to eat higher protein. And I have always felt better on that. I can't imagine eating a meal without it being centered around my protein. Right, right. I think, I think that's very true. And I think that um, people also are slightly misled sometimes to think that they need uh, a ton, right? Like they need so much. But I think you should consider it sometimes we get, A, it's the most satiating one. So if you are trying to lose weight, then that's a good strategy to keep yourself full. But B, uh, on the other hand, if you consider like, if you look at like the research, if you're trying to maintain your body weight or gain body weight, you don't need that much, but it's all personal preference, right? So uh, I think protein is like, yeah, if I'm gonna eat something, I definitely need to have that in there. But at the same time, I don't know if you've ever done this, but there was, um, (laughs) when I was on that cut, when I was so young, one of my favorite meals to eat was taking a scoop of protein powder and then throwing it in a bowl of oatmeal and then having that. Yeah. What are the pros? That's what I used to You think it's funny. I eat that every day. Do you? It's great. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad you're not judging me. (laughs) I I kind of, I weaved it in there. (laughs) No. Uh, and when you said, like, I'm not sure if you've done this. I'm just thinking in my head, I've probably done it. Done it, yeah. When you've done a bodybuilding show, I feel like you've done oh, everything yeah. food-wise. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do this thing, too, where I'd put, like, a scoop of protein powder with, like, a little bit of flour, a ton of baking soda, like, cinnamon and, like, something and make, like, the cake things. You ever done yep. that? Yep, in the cup. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, you've been there. <laughs> oh, I have. I really have. <laughs> That's great. Um. So do you feel like bodybuilding in of itself, like even like physique, um, physique shows, do you feel like those are inherently unhealthy? That's a great question. I think it's a hard answer. I, I do think that they breed unhealthy patterns around food. I think they breed a relationship with food that is not something that you want for the rest of your life. But I mean, the show itself, getting to that lean, um, maybe 9%, that's not healthy. And that is not uh, what a human being should be at. Mm -hmm. But I respect the discipline. And 
I think it is phenomenal. I think that people that do shows, I, you know, I did the one I did not want to do anymore. Um, I, I felt that it was not right, the right place for me. I felt I needed a more competitive atmosphere and I had started training Olympic weightlifting the month before my show. So I knew it wasn't the right place, but I was going to do it anyway. I did it with my best friend. Um, and I watched her do a couple more shows afterwards. And I just have utmost respect for people that do bodybuilding, bikini, any of the um, different categories. I, I find it amazing that they do that. But I don't think it breeds a healthy relationship with food. It did not breed a healthy relationship for me with food. And everybody I know that has done a show has had body dysmorphia as well as that was eating. That going to be my question. Yeah. eating problems mm -hmm, for sure you know one person that's come out of one of those competitions and at some point didn't have that no as well as Neither other sports too yeah like i don't know many gymnasts that don't have the those patterns as well so i think it's it's dependent on the individual but it's also uh environment yeah. when that's what you're surrounded by mm -hmm. we had a i have a podcast as well and we had somebody on last week and we talked about this and uh it was a great episode about just diving deep into, you know, eating disorder struggles. And what yeah. do you, what is your strategy? Like I'm, I'm, I'm sure in the past you've had a client with one. How do you go about that? That's something to this day I still struggle with. And for me, I found the only tool I have in my toolbox for that is how much that person trusts me. And then if they do, then like from there you can work your way in, but it's such an incredibly complex problem, but unfortunately we have, we are the ones that have to bear most of that weight when in reality, maybe they should be seeing a psychologist about that. Yeah, I have had some clients for sure. I think it's tough. I think everybody is very individual. I also myself struggled. So for me, I basically got out of my terrible uh, my relationship with food around the same time this hormone stuff happened to me. I tracked my food for a good five years, like to the T, didn't let myself, I'm very all or nothing. So um, when I stopped tracking, that was really hard, but then it was very freeing. I think I have had these clients that have had anorexia in the past or have just, they struggle with food. And I don't coach nutrition. And it's not that I don't, I am not good at it. it. I could easily coach nutrition. I don't feel comfortable because of my own patterns. And I will, they know that I'll give them tips and I'll explain to them. I always talk about protein and that's always like how, how I help them to understand food. Because when you have the knowledge about food, you won't starve yourself. That's for sure. You, it's, it's too important. The information, once you learn it, to, once you understand that, you, you won't, you can't ignore it. Yeah. So that I try and educate. And if they're really, really struggling, I will send them to a doctor or I'll give them a couple of recommendations to see somebody who's a professional in it. But sometimes I just feel like if it is too out of my scope, I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all we can do. Yeah. And unfortunately that's not the sexy answer, but it's really like, that's what, that's reality. Yeah. That is like pure reality when it comes to those situations. Yeah. Um, so I think knowing your limit too, like I'm yeah. precision nutrition, right? Like I could do nutrition coaching, but just, I know that about myself, so I'm not going to push it, you know? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. I think uh, it takes a couple losses as a coach 
to get to that point. Because I think at first I thought I could help everyone with everything. And it got to a point for me where I realized how psychological this whole deal is. Like some of my clients don't really even train. They just like pay me to be their, you know, their psychologist. And that's fine if that's what they want me to do. If they want me to be their friend, I'm so happy to do that. Because like really something that's been really helped me, like a perspective I've thought about is that we are helping human beings. Like we are working with human beings and everyone is at a different place. And if I can make the same impact on someone through just listening to them, which really that's all it is, like just listening and like feeling like they were heard and understood, then that right there is probably even better than whatever like physical adaptation I can give them along the way. And to me, that is by far the most rewarding part about what we do. At the end of the day, the brain is king, or I like to Mm -hmm. say it's queen. But um, (laughs) I think that that connection you have with the person, that's the most important. Yeah, you can give them all the all four belly breathing exercises in the world. But if they don't trust you, and they don't believe that this is going to help them, then they're not going to stay and, you know, keep paying you. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the best clients are just the ones that trust you and, and you are going to, I do all the research in the world for my clients because I just want to help them. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a connection both ways. They have to also invest in their health when they're with me. I'm not going to do all the research in the world and program for you if you're not going to do my programs and if you're yeah. not going to actually show up to these training sessions and be there. So that's a I great think, point is saying yeah. no as a coach to work with someone that is a huge thing that's a that's like something like it's almost like playing hard to get sometimes because yeah. like if you're not if you're not like like clearly like right now like i want everyone of my clients to be you know very dedicated i don't have time to chase people down i don't want to chase them down so if they're going to come to me and they expect me to like hold their hand every step of the way i'm not the right coach for you because that's not how i operate yeah and that takes time to learn like i've been doing this for a few years now so it I'm at that point, but at first, no, I just, you know, I, I let clients walk on me and definitely I don't do that anymore. You learn from those mistakes. And I think that's what makes the difference between a new coach and an experienced coach. Yeah. It's knowing what kind of personalities you mesh with the best. There are, I, I know, like if I have a consultation call, I will know within the first two minutes if I'm going to work with this person. And I'm sure you know the same thing. I know exactly what you're talking yep. about. <laughs> I know. I, you just know when it, it, I could do a 15 minute phone call with somebody or just yeah. in that first hour of my consult and I'll kind of know if they're going to stick around. Mm-hmm. And, and when I'm wrong and I think they're going to stick around and they don't, that, that breaks my heart. Yeah. I've had, I've had many of those where yeah. it's just like, wow, I thought we were really going to go the distance. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then, yeah. Um, I think, I think really it's, it's not always our fault, you know, but it's sometimes it's a compliance thing. There could be a lot of other variables going on there, but at the end of the day, I do think to a certain extent it is, it is our job like on the other side of things to hold them accountable. Yeah. Um, I think something that I've, I've made a push to do myself lately is like check in more with my, with my clients, even when they're not expecting it, because that just shows I was thinking about them yeah. because I was, because my yeah. brain doesn't shut down. So like, I have to like, whenever I'm thinking of things, I'll be like, well, that person, I wonder how they're doing. Instead of just thinking it, I send them a text. I, I do the same. Really, yeah. 
I think Definitely. it's all about just that relationship you have. I agree. It, it is. And that, that takes time to form, but when you form it, it's that it's a bond. Mm-hmm. So. It's like the avatar thing. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll see the next one in 2030. <laughs> yeah. Um, if we ever get out of this right, situation. Right. <laughs> well, Alina, what do you have planned for the future? Do you have anything exciting coming? Other than your presentation. Yeah. So uh, March, May 30th, I am presenting on this topic that we talked about. Um, and I'm going to be going deeper into what I experienced, but also what other people may experience, what um, could be the effects of different types of hormonal imbalances and what those symptoms might be like. So that's May 30th in Katie St. Clair's Female Fitness Alliance. And then also I'm currently, um, I just invested all this time into something called the Active While at Home program. And so last month I had an amazing group of people that were in this program and they stuck to doing a scheduled training session. It was about an hour-ish for three days a week and they had access to Train Heroic and we did a couple live Zoom calls and we had a Slack group. It was really great. It was a great community feel. And this month I improved it, um, made it better and going to do some more live Zoom calls where they're actually working out and can ask questions. Um, they get a little more one-on-one attention. And it's honestly just for people that are stuck at home, but also maybe in small spaces. Cause I wanted to think about the people like me that I don't have that much equipment and I have to make do with what I got right now. So I'm going to stay fit during this quarantine. I'm going to keep my muscle mass. And how am I going to do that? I have to train. So mm-hmm. that's who this is really for. So oh. those are the, the things that I'm, I'm working on and hopefully more things in the future for sure. That sounds awesome. Well, you're definitely growing bigger and bigger every day and it's really cool to watch. So that's exciting. And uh, thank you for coming on. And I'd love to have you back. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me.